0: Why should any phenomenon be assumed impossible? The universe begins to look more and more like a great thought than a great machine. I didn't kill anyone. And if I didn't kill anyone, then I'm not insane. I killed my own daughter.
1: She had become a whore. The day after I die, I shall help you find justice. It's
0: the goddamnest thing I ever heard. You performed an autopsy on a patient that was still alive? Yes, I was naked
2: now you're not due for another enema to 9 o'clock, so I think I'll relax
0: and take a shower. When is the last time you heard of anybody scalding to death in a shower? It's a new one, all right. Two freak deaths in less than 12 hours. What about uh, Martha Bernson's death? Or the woman who died in the shower? Your mother's nurse? And Dr. Taylor, he testified at your trial. Just what are you getting at?
1: He hasn't moved out of that chair all night.
0: Because the doctor here tells me that you have some sort of a psychic way of getting out of your body and committing murders. Didn't you tell me that when the energy force leaves his body, he is clinically and medically dead?
1: Pension!
0: This is Jared McVeigh from Island of Blood, a.k.a. Who Done It, And you're listening to The Hysteria Continues.
1: And indeed you are. You're listening to The Hysteria Continues. And welcome back uh, this time... Uh, we're all going a little bit medium, a little bit, uh, um, what, what did you have? Did you have a biscuit tin? What was in a biscuit tin? Old old lady mediums, Doris Stokes and all that, because we are going back to 1975 and uh, psychic killer. So, Eric, uh, what color is your aura? Uh, black, like my underpants. <laughs> you should be more day glow pink.
0: Yeah, well, the words are glow pink, but but then we've been on this Skype call trying to fix um, issues for the last 38 minutes, and they've turned black through despair.
1: I think we do need, I think we need a psychic or someone to uh, try and work out what's going on with the Skype gods. Um, We need someone to raise Mm -hmm. the Skype gods to try and... Get us back on track. But we, we're, we're back. It shows our perseverance to your entertainment, dear listener, that we are up to this god-awful god, god awful hour of the night. Well, actually, it's not even 9 o'clock at night, but we are recording into the night uh, in our, on our uh, GMT times because, um, yeah, we have a few, uh, few internet problems, but we won't let that get in the way. So, uh, Nathan, what color is your aura? I think my aura
3: is... Um I'm picturing a lavender color.
1: Yeah, I would picture that for you as well. I could see that.
3: Yeah, I just feel I'm very psychedelic.
1: <laughs> or I was thinking more like an old lady. Yeah. Oh, how dare you? I can see. I don't, I don't know what it is, but I I can see. I can picture mentally a smoke ring around your head. Oh, yeah. Is that what's happening right now?
3: Uh, uh, I, I played the fifth.
1: Okay. Um. Joseph, uh, what would color kind of, would your aura be?
2: Why pigeonhole auras to color? By the way, that was my joke. Uh, I I left in an intentional delay because we're experiencing delay oh, issues. Oh, so. he got me. I was about to. <laughs> I was
3: about to say something. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, um, my my color would be purple. Actually, purple is probably my favorite color. No one really knows that about me, but I like purple.
1: Well, they do now. I, I would say I would say my my aura would be black, but uh, now Eric's ruined that for me, so I, I don't know. Oh, I know. Gray? Mm, not gray. That's that's a rubbish aura, isn't it?
0: Yeah. Well, if... cobwebs are grey, and you like cobwebs. Tombstones are grey.
1: Well, well, let's just leave it at that. But I was going to say we are going back to 1975, and the reason we're talking about auras, um, I can remember back in the 70s when things like ESP and auras and all those kind of things were very popular. Um, and I don't know if you guys did you guys ever do this with any siblings or any cousins or anything? Write down, um, get bits of paper and put a triangle or a circle or a, or a speed willy or something on it and then ask them to guess what was in your hand. A speed willy? Do you not know? I mean, there's a joke. You know what a speed willy is, don't you? No. A speed willy is something, uh, maybe it's just a Bristol thing, but it's when if you go past someone's car and it's a bit dirty, you draw a penis on it very quickly.
2: Oh, how mature. How does this relate to triangles around someone's name?
1: Well, I, all I was saying was that back in the seventies, we used to do things like you would sit. It's a bit like, obviously that this is, this film sits in with a canon of films like the fury and all, and Carrie and all those kind of films where they, it was very popular. It was very in vogue, really this um, crystals and sitting under pyramids and uh, believing in the Bermuda triangle, all these kind of things. So we are talking, of course, psychic killer from 1975 and, Eric, this was your choice, wasn't it? I mean, it's going to be interesting to discuss whether or not we actually think this is a slasher movie. Um, I kind of guess that's open for a mass debate, isn't it, Eric?
0: It is. And I mean, I did admit at the end of the last episode that I'd need to rewatch it to try and check out its slasher credentials. But uh, I think we can shoehorn it in. I think we're probably being more strict nowadays that we have the Patreon sideline going on. But um, I think there's enough slash action in Psychic Killer to justify it being a main pick does anyone agree
1: i agree okay well we well, let's talk we'll talk about that uh at some length i'm sure but before we do that let's have a quick chat about what i've been watching recently so eric first up how about you yes well I, I as i said in the last uh
0: podcast i've got my projector and my 3g 3d um blu-ray player now already set up for multi-region viewing so i finally got to see friday the 13th part three in 3d uh, in the new um uh, screen factory box set and uh yeah, it was really, really good. I finally sort of mastered the art of um, the th- projecting the 3D properly because I don't think I was doing it properly before that. But uh, for me, Friday, everything in Friday the 13th Part 3 worked, particularly the opening titles, which are amazing because you know that was probably the one effect i really really wanted to see in 3d 3d because i've always imagined what it would be like seeing those titles come off the screen and they really do they're really um very impressive and um, did you um did you astrally project it to the <laughs> very screen? clever i used all my curly and force to um project it um in terms of the effects within the film and uh, the eyeball pop still doesn't work for me even when i Put it into um, slow mo and and you know did freeze frame on it. It still wasn't working great. But other things like the pitch the two the two pitchfork murders in the barn were really good. And um, what else was there? Particularly st- oh the the vagrant guy who holds out the eyeball to the screen. That was really good. And it really felt like the sort of the eyeball was prodding you in the face. Um, so yeah, I was really impressed with my. Uh, finally catching up with Friday the 13th Part 3 after f- first seeing it in 1987 or so. So, what well, it's been 34 years in the making, but uh, it didn't disappoint. Well impressed.
1: Excellent. Did you... I, I still haven't got around to sending off my replacement discs, so I don't know if I've missed the train. Did you... I suppose you wouldn't have a chance, but did you get replacement disc?
0: I did get the replacement disc, yeah. So the, the, the issue with the first print of the disc was that the... After the Friday the 13th Part 3 credit, everything sort of moves back into the 3D space, if you know what I mean, so stuff doesn't fly off the screen, the rest of the credits, but the the replacement disc, it does, and it's, it's really, yeah, very, very good. Um, So, uh, I also purchased Amityville 3D, I think it's a Spanish um Blu-ray, but I thought I was, I wasn't expecting much from it, but it was as good for me as Friday the 13th Part 3, the effects were amazing, um. There's uh, particularly the the scenes of there's a there's the real estate agent who whole pushes his hand out to the screen as he's sort of in his, his death throes. Uh, that was really really good. Uh, and also, on, all out of those scenes where the paranormal investigators are prodding uh, microphones and cameras out of the screen towards the end of the film are were incredible. And just the, the whole film didn't have kind of have a duff. 3D effect in it, I was really impressed with that. So I I went back and rewatched um Jaws 3D as well, which I was complaining about in the last podcast, and it worked a lot better this time around. Still a lot of um issues with some of the effects in it but uh it was a lot better than my first <laughs> viewing i don't know what i was doing wrong but um certainly this it, it warranted a second viewing so yeah i watched those three classic 1982 83 3d movies and uh it was something it was like a dream come true something i've wanted for a long time but uh certainly Amateurville 3 and friday the 13th 3 were the pick of the bunch they were really good
1: excellent uh i knew i knew you'd love your uh 3d so i'm glad it's uh dreams do come true Anything? Anything else, Eric? Um, oh, okay. The
0: one other thing, the one sort of new one for me, but I know you guys have all seen this because we've discussed this and recently seen before, was one uh, BR, or as it's listed over here on on Sky Cinema as Apartment One BR, uh, which uh, is the almost torture porn like movie where a woman moves into a into a apartment block and then realizes that she's accidentally inducted herself into some kind of sinister cult. Um, I thought the film was engrossing, but I also found it incredibly depressing at the same time. I mean, it, as I said, it it's it sort of... Brief scenes in it are sort of are borderline torture porn, so it, it has kind of a hostile and Saw-type vibe in certain scenes. And I, I'm just kind of like over that... I'm not not into extreme horror anymore. And uh, some of the scenes I just found a little grim. And, you know, the I just found it... As I said, I found it engrossing. It did it it, it entertained is probably the wrong word but it kept me interested for the 90 minutes but after it I felt like that was kind of a depressing film so it's good I suppose in one respect but it's not something I would watch again Um, so I can't remember what you guys thought of the film
1: I can remember really liking it. I thought it was. Um, I didn't really know anything about it going into it, so uh, I, I. It was. It's the one, isn't it? Set in the apartment block where you have to. Everyone. See, it seems perfect, doesn't it? Before she moves in, um, and then it's got a horrible secret. Yeah. No, I, I can remember really liking it. I thought it was uh, it, I definitely have, look. I don't remember it being too. Taut- I, yeah, I know the bits you mean, but I thought it. it unlike some films where. Uh, it just seems to the whole point of the film is to sort of have people squirming around to torture. That, the whole torture porn thing of the, of the um, you know that time around Hostel. This, this it kind of worked in context of the story, so I don't think it's too gratuitous.
0: Mm, yeah, they are the scenes are brief, but I mean there is one very gratuitous scene involving somebody's nails being or somebody's hands being nailed to a wall, which was um, pretty grim because the person doesn't deserve it. It's not like it's a villainous person who has it done to
1: them. Well, what about, um, I, I, I can't remember, it. Uh, Joseph and Nathan? Have you seen it?
3: I remember liking it, but admittedly, it's been a while. And I remember the basics, especially when you mentioned that, um, the hand scene. I remember that really well, too. And I, I remember the ending. Um, I liked it a lot, but I've, I've never had the desire to revisit it. I just, I guess for me, it was a really good one-time watch.
1: Fair enough. What about you, Joseph?
3: I still haven't seen
1: it, so
2: yeah, I'm not in a rush to. If it's all a torture porny.
0: no, it's not. It's not. I mean, as as uh, Justin was saying, I mean the, the torture porn scenes are brief, and there they're, there's only a few of them. Uh, I just found it. I just find films about cults and that to be a bit depressing. Yeah, I'm <laughs> um, I'm not so. really
2: into that sort of kind of. I mean, I like The Wicker Man. I think that's like like the gold standard. But mm. I don't know. I'm just not much of that. You know, into that type of film.
1: Okay, well, fair enough. Eric, anything else? Nope, that was it for me. Okay, well, thank you very much. Uh, Joseph, how about yourself?
2: Well, it's been a while since we last recorded, and I had planned to catch up on some movies, but uh, honestly, I just didn't care to. Uh, we've had some really great weather, so I've been kind of spending a lot of time outdoors, uh, trying to get in fit shape, you know, all that jazz, so... Nothing for me this week, but I did get hit with some recommendations, and uh, we'll discuss those on the next episode. Sorry.
1: That's okay. Uh, Nathan, how about you? Have you been out uh, jogging and uh, uh, enjoying the great wilderness, or have you have been inside watching movies?
3: Well, I just got back from vacation, ah.
1: which is holiday for people
3: <laughs> overseas. Yes. Did you have um, a nice holiday? And I didn't. Unfortunately, I don't really have any newly watched movies. My friend Melissa came up. Um, to visit the last few days but we just watched stuff that we've already seen and then we love Uh, we didn't watch anything new i did her unhinged and she liked it a lot oh yeah i I didn't did did you like that movie nathan because i don't think you talked about it oh i loved unhinged i thought it was really good it's just a really entertaining thriller yeah you gotta suspend your disbelief because you know there's several things that uh the main character does or has done that makes it very easy for Russell Crowe's character to do the things he does. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I mean, it's just entertaining. Uh, I loved it. Fun, 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 fun stuff.
1: Okay. So have you finished, uh, is that everything, Nathan? Uh, yeah, I've not watched anything. So, okay right well i haven't seen a huge amount uh either but i did um i've started doing some new reviews for hysteria lives so one of the films that i i i i basically had queued up on youtube for a long time and i didn't get around to but i'd always been intrigued was uh she's dressed to kill uh the 1979 tv movie um which uh always intrigued me because i remember seeing the cover and it's got this um uh this bloody knife or very stylized bloody knife and uh a uh, scary-looking man and uh, some models screaming. And I thought, well, that looks right up my street. And I thought, well, is this is a rip-off of Dress to Kill, the Brian De Palma movie. Uh, and, in fact, actually came out six months before that. So, um, so I wondered if that had inspired it. But it's probably the campiest thriller, TV thriller, I've ever seen in my life. It's got... Um, uh, models being murdered which of course is always a great trash aesthetic uh, as we know and love from films everything from um, the horror of the zombies to uh, well a million jally. Um, and in this you've got some models going off to remote um, cliff top mansion for a fashion show and being killed off one by one and it's in ways uh, which are so gloriously ridiculous as one gets killed by nerve agent is um, disguised as hairspray so she she kind of sprays her far a faucet flick and drops dead another one dies through um cyanide laced lip gloss uh and there's various kind of uh, murders uh more conventional murders and it's just very over the top bitchy dialogue uh, completely ridiculous Eleanor parker playing this um uh this over the top uh, over the hill uh, fashionista fashion designer who is just having uh, who's constantly drunk so she's got my spirit animal and she's just having a whale of a time. It's just, um, yeah, it's uh, Jessica Walter, who recently passed away, of course, was in um, uh, Play Misty for Me. Uh, and all sorts of uh, people you've spot from 70s uh, TV movies. It was just a hell of a lot of fun. So I know, Nathan, um, you are a fan of that one, aren't you?
3: Yes, I think that movie is amazing. I actually bought it um, from Movies for Sale. It, had, it was one of the oversized um, VHS boxes. I can't remember who put it out either. USA, maybe? I don't know. Uh, don't quote me on that because I don't know. But yes, um, <clears throat> I'm a big fan of it, and I think it will be fun to cover it.
1: I think it would be as well. It's kind of one of those ones that is not really a slasher, but it could be a slasher if we kind of want it to be. Because it's yeah. models being bumped off one by one by an unseen killer. Um, but, uh, you know, they I, I just love these. I, the other f- film I watched, actually another film I watched, which isn't a horror movie, but uh, I was doing some research on it. And I think it was The Night They Took Miss Beautiful, which was another TV movie from 1977 by the same writer. And in this one, it's um, its a plane full of beauty contestants um, get hijacked. But also one of the beauty contestants is an undercover agent. Uh, working with somebody who's um, taking a a, a deadly um, a bacterial organism uh, to a country to be defused, so they get taken over by this kind of um, a rebel group and taken somewhere. And then there's they've uh, you've got all these uh, beauty queens and uh, these uh, gorillas and they have to t- they put on a talent show while they're being kidnapped. So it's again gloriously stupid. It's got Victoria principle. In it, uh, pre-Dallas, uh, Stella Stevens, and a whole load of um, more 70s TV faces. Uh, and unbelievably, it wasn't, although that sounds incredibly camp, it wasn't as camp as uh, uh, She's Dressed to Kill. But um, but it's still, uh, Phil Silver's as well, in it as well. So that's another one. So all these wonderful TV movies are on YouTube, I seem to be finding. So, uh, so uh, yeah, a great rabbit hole to go down. But is that one you've seen, Nathan? Does that ring any bells? No, I've not seen that one, no. Hmm it is uh, again it is pretty pretty stupid but it's um it's a lot of fun i just love i mean it, it, it kind of ties into what we're talking about a psychic killer i think uh the whole 70s aesthetic of um it's very different well it's obviously very different from the 80s aesthetic that we know and love but um uh, it'll be interesting to discuss that in context so um eric are you ready to come back in on our psychic killer i sure am
0: meet arnold masters Arnold is very imaginative. He can think of millions of ways to murder. I didn't come here to hurt you. I wanted to see you. Should I be afraid of you? I watched you make love to him. I wish it had been me. The evil of the future has arrived. The Psychic Killer, rated PG. Arnold Masters is a mild-mannered man who obsesses over his mother but finds himself implicated in a murder he didn't commit and is sent to an asylum. While incarcerated, a fellow patient teaches him the techniques of astral projection, also known as the Kirlian effect, which is the ability to use his mind to control objects at will. When the real killer is found and Arnold is released, only to find that during his time in the asylum his mother has died, he vows vengeance against those responsible for setting him up and begins to use his powers to exact a bloody revenge. Yes, so um, as... Justin said, I think, at the last, on the end of the last podcast, uh, Psychic Killer is a film that I associate with the notorious UK video label Vipco, because this was one of their slew of titles that they brought out in the early 80s, uh, alongside the likes of The Boogeyman, Zombie Flesh Eaters, The Slayer, and even Dark Sanity, that film that sometimes comes up on the podcast, but that's the film with the woman washing her hair in the birdbath, because she's in an insane asylum, obviously. And... Um, But uh, anyway, Vipco went out of business in the post-video nasty era, but re-emerged in the early 90s and re-released some of their early catalog and then some newer new titles. Well, titles that were new to them, and one of them was um, Psychic Killer. Now, I didn't buy it at the time, but I did buy some of their other stuff, like the Boogeyman, um, Zombie Flesh Eaters, uh, the Beyond, and the trailer for. Um, psychic killer seemed to be at the top of all of them. Now the trailer probably didn't grab me because I never sought the film out, but I was sort of familiar with from seeing the trailer sort of dozens of times. I didn't actually see it till about two years ago because I bought the uh, Vinegar Syndrome Blu-ray, which came out, and it is a pretty awesome print they've put together because it looks sparkly and brand new compared to the trailer which I was watching, which was grainy and scratchy and uh, full screen um so one thing i noticed about the film watching it was the slight similarity with the exorcist 3 because in that film we have the killer who is the gemini killer who falls into this coma style state whenever his soul leaves his body to possess uh you know the people who are out doing the murders for him and in this one our lead sort of falls into a state that makes him clinically dead as he sort of leaves his body to seek vengeance on those who wrongfully put him in prison and who neglected his mother while she was ill. Um, The film as a whole is, is kind of an oddity because at times it's quite serious and has kind of that 70s slightly grindhouse feel I suppose and, and you know so one minute it's serious but the next it's really quite silly and playful um the scene with the negligent nurse is is quite hilarious because how on earth she manages to maintain her employment status is beyond me it's you know it's already established early on that she failed to check up on arnold's mother for sort of three or four days before her death now surely that's a sackable offense if not a criminal offense but like she's still employed it seems at the hospital and we see her taunting this elderly man who can't move um, you know, she's doing all kind of sexy moves and sexy chat with them. And she says things like, well, seeing as you want you another enema until nine o'clock, I'm going to take a shower, which she does. And then proceeds to do a very slinky, sexy dance in her underwear. But uh, obviously, she's not long for this world as she is murdered by a sentient shower. Um, so uh, there are other funny scenes in the in the film as well which are sometimes some of them kind of flow nicely with the rest of the film some of them are really quite jarring i mean arnold is released from prison in in a quite a darkly comic scene where the prison warden says well it's not the first time an innocent man has been wrongly accused i hope you take this in in good spirit you know it's it's he's almost treating it as if they would accidentally given him a coke instead of a pepsi or something not that they would put him in prison for six or seven years or whatever the the time is um Although I did enjoy that scene where he returns to his family home, which obviously hasn't been lived in for a long time. And it's covered in cobwebs and looks exactly like the Kurzweil's house. <gasps> I'm sure that's what your house looks like, Justin. Um, the main sequence, though, for me, that sticks out like a sore thumb and we heard it in that intro I cobbled together is the scene involving the lawyer who's kind of surveying this building site that he's, I don't know, doing some work, legal work for us, whatever, I think he might be the head honcho on it, but he starts singing this sort of little opera song, La, La Donna Immobile, and uh, he's, it's, it, you know, he ends up being crushed by a large bit of stone that's dropped from a crane in kind of a comic slapstick moment, and it plays very much like the comedy cops in Halloween 5, because it, it's accompanied by kind of silly music, and, you know, it, it seems quite out of place, f- considering I suppose, the seriousness of the rest of the film. It's it's a very odd scene, but it, I suppose it adds kind of the quirky charm to the whole film. Um, and the, there's a scene in the butcher shop with Neville Brand, who, is, um, who makes a very brief cameo, and he's with this customer arguing about food stamps. It actually made me wonder if it inspired the famous food stamps scene in Friday the 13th Part 3. But... Um, you know, again, it's shoehorning in humour, which is is then followed by the goriest scene in the movie where Neville Brand gets gets minced, basically. Um, so scenes like that um, do seem kind of odd and quirky because it's serious one minute and silly the next. Um, but as for its slasher credentials, I think that the supernatural deaths of the victims make it kind of Final Destination-y and maybe there's a slight Nightmare in Elm Street Air to them, so that's why I'm thinking we can sort of push it into the slasher genre. Because Elm Street is definitely a, what we would call a slasher film. I think Final Destination we've discussed. Have we covered Final Destination? On the we did podcast? the
2: first one, but that's it uh, so far.
0: Yeah, yeah. So that yeah. So we do consider that a slasher. So this is a slasher, then. That's my my uh, defense of that. Um, the thing about the the Arnold character, central character, I'm not sure. If they're totally successful in making him sympathetic, I find him a bit cold and standoffish. Uh, I don't, re- I'm not really invested in his character, and I, I don't weep for him as I would for, you know, something like Carrie. Um, but I do love the '70s aesthetic of the film. I mean, looking looking back at the '70s, how big are the cars? I mean, they're about twelve feet wide. How do you parallel park in one of those cars? <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I mean, are cars are cars still like that over in the States? No, the 70s no. was very
2: notorious for having these very long cars in the States. Really wide. Yes, yeah. I mean, they,
0: they were like tanks out on the street almost. <laughs> I know. Um, I do think um, in terms of, of it being sort of a grindhouse film it, it's very much at the commercial end because it's it's it has quite a mainstream feel in comparison to a lot of um mid to low budget 70s american movies um but uh that's probably why, why i'm, I'm, I'm kind of drawn to it i mean i don't think it's a perfect film by any means but i i do uh think there's enough in there for me to enjoy i find i'm i'm entertained from start to finish. and not not, never bored by it, but it might be just a bit bit too quirky for it to be considered any kind of classic. But I do like the way that it's the end shot sort of insinuates that a possible sequel would involve a killer cat. But um, speaking of killer cats, Justin... You live in a house full of killer cats. What did you think of psychic killer?
1: Well, I'm not sure. I'm, I can see lots of cats uh, where I'm, they're all sleeping at the moment. They've got a belly full of bics. Uh, I don't think any of them are psychic killers that I'm aware of. Although one of them um, uh, is a, a lizard killer, unfortunately. Uh, oh. But none of us are lizards, and none of us are David Icke, I don't think so. Uh, or actually, David Icke isn't a lizard, is he? Anyway, I've been watching. No, he
0: thinks other people are lizards, though.
1: So, apologies, David Ike, mad nutter. Um, so, Psychic Killer. It's again. It's one I think I saw uh, quite a few years ago. And um, when I was kind of trying to devour the Vipco um, films, uh, as Eric said, it's when they they came out. And they were Vipco had this um, amazing name. It was it was so fondly remembered remembered by a certain age group of people. grew up in the video nasties, they they put out these incredible covers, and you know these um, um uh, amazing videotapes of these films, and when they they kind of uh, reemerged in the nineties, they put out these terrible cut cover um, uh, cut films with uh, really cheap covers, which only had the the title on them in white type. And uh, I think Psychic Killer was was one of them. So when I watched it, I was kind of a bit disappointed, really, because I didn't realise at the time, um, it, you know, it's it was a PG rated horror movie, which seems like an oxymoron, but I think at the time there were uh, a number of kind of PG-rated horror movies. It was kind of slightly different to the rating is now. I don't know if that. I mean, I know it's obviously before your time, uh, Joseph and Nathan. But uh, PG-rated horror movies. There were quite a few of them, weren't there, in the seventies?
2: Yeah, it's a, it, it was a very it was a very common thing because the rating system was a little different. There, where they didn't they didn't have PG thirteen, and if something wasn't quite as gory, you know, as you know. It wasn't gory enough to get some, you know, like a higher rating. They would just, you know, lump it in with the PG and just say, hey, warn your children, you know, that there's some thematic elements here. Uh,
0: So what was
1: the next step up from PG? Was it R? R, Yeah, just went from PG to R.
0: Mm -hmm. So that was a huge leap. yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Because I, I it, quite like a lot of the '70s grindhouse movies. They sometimes have that kind of TV aesthetic, TV movie aesthetic, perhaps. Um, uh, and so this feels, in some ways, a little bit like a TV movie. In some, and, and also I think that's partly because actually a number of the um, the prominent actors in this were kind of TV. Uh, I think the main cop I can't, I can't remember his name off the top of my head, but I know he was um, big in in TV in the '70s. Uh so um but I think again that a lot of that was just how a, a lot of those grindhouse movies felt. I mean like a film like Don't Answer the Phone um those kind of movies uh or the it's a Hollywood slasher Hollywood strangler versus Skidrow slasher those kind of movies everything was kind of felt quite flat and 70s which is kind of ironic given that it was the the days of disco. Um so you would have thought everything would be disco balls and kind of glitter but in fact actually everything was beige. Um, and I love it. So you know, I, I love the seventies, and it's it's got that it's got this kind of weird mixture of um, this kind of grindhouse aesthetic uh, and this kind of TV movie aesthetic. As I mentioned, um, is it Laura Wilcox? I think is the nurse who was in the kind of very grindhouse film, as it Kiss me deadly, the uh, the Necrophilia film uh, which came out a few years before before this, uh, as that that nurse in the striptease, which was very kind of grindhouse uh, things, but it was very coy. Uh, with the nudity in this, that you didn't really see any nudity or it was very brief. Um, and the gore, it was, was a brief. I said Neville Brand bit in the butcher shop. Although I didn't really get, what, what was his crime? I'm not sure either on that he one. He wasn't very nice. But didn't he just go and buy, I mean, obviously being a vegan, I wasn't particularly hot on him as a butcher, but didn't he just go and buy some meat from him and then he kills him? doesn't he
3: overcharge for his stuff though ah. mm. that just that sort of
2: felt to me like they tacked – they they added that in to kind of pad out the running time mm.
1: yeah very possibly because there was no because Delarice who was um uh, the customer like they said the 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 scene with Neville Brandon and Delarice um, where they're arguing over food stamps in the in the butcher's it's kind of it it was quite funny but it it didn't feel like it kind of all the other murders seemed to uh uh, sort of makes sense. But I suppose maybe it was a suggestion that he was um, he was going more and more mad. Um, but uh, yeah, I enjoyed it. It's kind of very much of its time. Uh, I think for me, if if it had gone more the exploitation route, more the horror route, and gone a little bit gorier and a bit more uh, sexploitation and more sev- that 70s grindhouse, um, uh, rather than playing it safe with a PG rating, then I, it may have stood out a little bit more uh for me having said that i i enjoyed it i enjoyed it and i think you know you're right around you know this the the whole slasher movie thing it's kind of essentially a slasher movie but in the way like you say, final destination also also reminds me of um that you know what uh, Ulu lumo went on to do with the boogie the boogie man uh you know the kind of the murders in that again it's not the the killer is um in in that is kind of obviously kind of a ghost behind the mirror or whatever of um uh kind of spirit uh and this is this astral projection which is very gimmicky um uh, but it works in a thing and I, I i like the ending where uh he kind of um you know you've got this kind of quite grim ending where the The policeman knows the only way he can stop the killer is by burning him alive when he's because it's right in thinking isn't he when he's astral rejecting he's he's clinically dead isn't he they managed to get this um coroner over to say that he's to sign him off as dead and then rush him to a more uh kind of funeral home and burn him alive which is quite a grim ending um but yeah i I liked it i like the the kind of um that kind of strange that real 70s romance between the uh uh, the doctor and the, and the cop, and they kind of have a, one glass of wine and jump straight into, straight into bed, which is very seventies. <laughs> um, but yeah, overall, it's great. I, I must admit, I wasn't that hot on the um, on the main character Jim Hutton, who I don't know because he was. It was kind of strange. He kind of felt like it was a, like a mixture of something like um, the characters and something like um, Bad Ronald or Willard or something. Those kind of seventies, early seventies weirdo antiheroes, I kind of guess. Um, so he kind of, I would, I didn't feel a massive amount of sympathy for him, even though he kept on hallucinating his mother being tossed off a cliff and things like that. It, it kind of, I, it didn't quite work for me, but overall I, I enjoyed it. I think it was, um, it was, a, you know, it was a blast seven mid seventies blast of, uh, of, um, of, uh, PG rated horror, which, uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun. So, uh, you know, I'm glad, uh, you chose it, Eric. So thank you excellence joseph
2: yeah i hadn't seen this for a very long time and i i remembered next to nothing about it going into it for this episode um first off we we sort of fall into the story as it's already in progress there's no real lead up to the stuff in the mental institution so the opening is sort of jarring uh but that's not you don't need to worry about that because we get this huge Uh, exposition dump, not five minutes into the movie that kind of brings us up to speed on what's going on. And the shocking coincidence that this wrong, uh, wronged man, this Arnold character, um, he's going to get, you know, his Avenue of Vengeance uh, via this other uh, inmate who um, knows astral projection. And I guess he kind of passes on this gift to uh, Arnold just before he dies. But, um, and he dies in this uh, this scene with the worst mannequin effects. I love that since, uh, scene <laughs> since To All a Good Night. I mean, they're so flimsy, and I, I laughed out loud at that. Um, you know, and this is not even ten minutes into this batshit crazy film, um, but suffice it to say, I really, really enjoyed Psychic Killer. I I wouldn't go so far as to say it, that it's a slasher film or even a proto slasher film, but it borrows um tropes from the time period you know from films we label proto slashers and you know it's essentially a body count film so i i think we're justified in covering it um i love the scene with the nurse as we've talked about i'm guessing she's this sort of black dahlia type character because she seems to get off on teasing her patients that they're most vulnerable rather than you know helping them out um she gets this really 70s dance sequence in front of this uh, elderly, an elderly care. He's kind of gasping for his last breath and it's just so bonkers. She's just dance, stripping down and dancing around in front of him. and He's just like, you know, groaning for his life. Um, the death scenes, uh, they're, they're cut weird. Like the scene with the lawyer getting crushed by the stone sign. We see the stone up close just before it crushes the guy and uh because i assume they couldn't afford to actually create those horrific uh effects needed for that death scene they create this uh this kind of sense of false urgency with doing like they do like slide cuts over like blank screens of the same color as the object and it gives the death scenes this really bizarre effect and they do that and um they do that for every death scene in some manner like the uh were where the the guys in the car and the cops chasing him the, the way they cut it there or the way she's in the shower they'll use like a color palette to kind of create this false sense of movement it's it's very bizarre it almost looks like a home videotape the way it's shot but um yeah i the lead guy arnold i didn't know you know i didn't know who to root for in this movie to be honest because this guy you know he's wronged but you should feel some sympathy for him, but he's just so creepy and cold that it's it, like, like you guys have said, it's hard to sympathize with him, you know? And meanwhile, the cops on the case, they're so loud that you just eventually want them to go away. And, um, yeah, I guess that kind of leaves those who wronged the main guy, but I think their sins, they're, they're not really shown, but they're except in like, uh, kind of these over the top cartoony mental flashes from Arnold. So we don't really get a sense you know, that they, they really deserve what's coming to them. So there's really no one left to root for at the end of the film. Um, but, you know, having said that, it all sort of works. It is this, uh, you know, this exposition heavy train wreck waiting to happen. I mean, thumbs, thumbs up high for me, Eric. I loved it. I, it's just a goofy film. It's got nothing meaningful to say. And it's capped with a, a really startling conclusion that I, I, I suppose it's, it's supposed to make you feel a certain way. But for me, it was just another kind of crazy turn with all these crazy people. And uh, I enjoyed spending my 90 minutes with these crazy people. So yeah, wonderful pick Eric, but I did have a question um, before you pass it on to uh, Nathan. Um, The, the, the bit with the amulet at the end, um, the doctor kind of panics and he's like, did he have the amulet on him? He didn't have the amulet on him. And he runs back into the house to get the amulet. I mean, what, what is the deal with the amulet exactly? Because I was under the impression that the guy, um, the the guy that died in the mental institution, that gave him the the, the powers to do this, I, I was just under the impression that he mentally passed it on. So, what did the amulet have to do with uh, anything?
0: Well, I assumed that the amulet had to be worn by the person doing the astral projection, which made me query that end scene where he's not wearing it and yet he's astrally projected. So, I'm not sure, Nathan.
3: I'd never seen this before. So this was a first-time watch for me. And I really liked it. Um I, I get what you guys are saying about the main character. But in all honesty, these people he's killing, I mean, they ain't anything special. So I was fine with them, you know, meeting their demise uh because they're mean. Now I feel bad for the loved ones. Don't get me wrong, but these people were very mean. Like the nurse she's going to be like, oh yeah, but my, my uniform, it's just, it's shrinking and it's just, she's like teasing this poor bedridden, like elderly man. And I just like, she's such a terrible person. And, um, Neville brand, I loved his death scene in the butcher shop. It's felt totally felt like a final destination kind of death in all honesty. And yeah, I liked, um, I liked the comedy bits that went along with the horror. I will admit that, especially like the construction site death where a big stone is dropped. Um, the way they like play that scene, it, it, it almost is like it would fit better in like a spoof of horror movies. Cause it just, it doesn't, I don't know it that, um, you know, the, the way they play it is not how they play the rest of the movie. Um, and it's definitely played for laughs when this guy's killed. Uh, But then you kind of think about, you know, obviously the ending. That wasn't played for laughs. But, no, I really liked the movie a whole lot. Um, I agree with what you guys have said about it. I was pretty excited because I don't know if I would have watched this any other way. And um, now I got to watch it because it was one of your picks. And to make up for that, Eric, I am going to pick something, like, totally unheard of for uh, a future episode since you – introduce me to this
0: oh you shouldn't nathan oh it's just too much
1: (laughs) (laughs) there were a lot of these i was talking earlier about saying about how in the 70s there was kind of this obsession with these astral projection and things like that because there are quite a few there's a couple of other movies come to mind one is patrick
2: yeah that's what i was thinking of when i was watching this
1: and also do you, do you, have you ever seen the medusa touch with uh, richard burton and lee remick where he's kind of like uh, in he's in bed and he's got a, he's in a coma but he's causing all these disasters um uh, and lee remick's trying to stop him so there was there's was a whole slew of these kind of movies where you had these kind of psychic things and of course a lot of the um i'm uh, in mean, the tv movies as well like the uh, esp and kind of uh, witchcraft, uh, the initiation of Sarah is not quite the same, but you know were the, the um, uh, is it? K. Lens manages to fling Morgan Fairchild across into a pond, just using her mind. So there was a lot of that going on in the seventies, wasn't there? There was a lot, and obviously Carrie as well, with the um, the whole uh, ESP and um, uh, kind of not astral projection and stuff. But uh, it was very it was very hot in the seventies, um, and then when we get into backgrounds, sort of a, there was a, apparently there was a bit of a rush people trying to, or the, the makers of this movie really wanted to get it out as quickly as possible because they thought astral horror was going to be the next big thing which I don't think it was.
0: Well, I mean Carrie and the Fury did big business.
1: Yeah, although this, I'm um, I mean if we're getting into background now, I mean I'll I'll, I'll just say that, that my understanding is this is made in 1974 mm-hmm. Um, and it was obviously going to be released under a different title beforehand. So I don't think... I think the, the 70s kind of um, astral projection and sort of ESP horror kind of ca- took a little while to catch on, didn't it? It was a bit of a trendsetter in that way.
0: So will we move on to background? Yeah. Nathan, do you have any background for us? Uh, no. <coughs> Joseph, do you have any background for us?
2: Not a whole lot for me beyond jumping back to the past VHS releases, which you guys talked about, but... um It was released in the United States uh, to VHS in 1986 on the embassy label. Um, It was released in the United Kingdom, as you said, on the VIPCO label in 1980. And then they released it again in 1992 in a cult classic Frightener clamshell release. Um, But yeah, that's all the background I have for this week. Sorry.
0: Joseph, or Justin, do you want to go ahead with you, you have then?
1: Um, well, I've got a few bits here the, it was um the, it was filmed in this uh 1974. It didn't actually get a release in the UK and I presume he got a cinema release uh, kind of low-key cinema release but not until the summer of 1978. Uh Jim Hutton, who's the father of Timothy Hutton, uh he was previously he he did mostly kind of comedy roles, which again it kind of although he doesn't really play this comedically uh, he said at the time um, that uh, – he said Hollywood would never let me do anything serious. Now I even get to do a kind of Dorian Gray finish. Uh, all the sins my aura has committed settle on my face at the end. And that's something you haven't mentioned, but there is that kind of Dorian Gray. He wants Dorian Gray to finish
2: on his face? Is that what you said? <laughs>
1: well, well, who wouldn't? <laughs> um, the the Originally, it was called uh, – when it was filmed under the title The Carillion Force – um it was that was based on um I was looking this up because again I remember in the 70s that whole thing of the aura and there was this there was this massive thing at the time in the 70s about these kind of you know people to go to parties and say I can see your aura or whatever not die not that I did in the 70s because I'd have been about five but um uh but there was all these things I don't know if you've seen the photos of people's hands and they're glowing all that kind of thing it was it was apparently it was from um it was uh, from a kind of studies done by a Russian scientific couple in the first part of the 20th century, I believe, um, that uh, they thought that they, it was like a new energy source, so that every living thing had this aura uh, and you had different, or as good, or as bad, auras or, or whatever. So there was again, it was this thing that really took off in the um, in the 70s. Uh, the film apparently sh- it was rushed in production um, and took 120 days from the first shot until the answer print. Now I didn't know what an answer print was. Do you know what an answer print is? Oh, i hear i hear about it when i read about
0: film making books and stuff but i'm not sure is it like a rough cut or something is it
1: well it's i f- I'd never heard of that term before so i looked it up and it, it says an answer print is the first version of a given motion picture that's printed to film after color correction on an interpositive it is also the first version of the movie printed to film with the sound properly synced to the picture um so apparently that was uh that uh, that was rushed into um you know production was very quick and uh uh, and Mardi Rustum, who is uh, produced this with his brother Mohammed M- Rustum, I presume it's it maybe his father, but he was uh, he um had come from Iraq in uh in the fifties or so. And uh he went on to uh, produce Death Trap with Neville Brand, um the year after, which another, of course, another great VIPCO release. And of course he the the ultimate classic of the early eighties, um Evils of the Night. So we can thank him for that um so he said that uh when he um uh, he he wanted to rush it through he he called it an aura horror movie uh and said there were, he wanted to get into theaters as quickly as possible because he was sure that there, there was going to be a massive um boom of aura based horror movies, which uh didn't quite come to pass but um uh Julie Adams, who plays the doctor in this, was uh, probably most famous for. Uh, being the uh, the woman menaced by the creature from the Black Lagoon, uh, and she was the ex-wife of the director Ray Danton, who um who also he was an actor who'd been in lots of TV and went on to do things like Knots Landing and stuff after this, and he directed a kind of a, a, a film that I've not seen, but it's got um, Robert Quarry from the uh, Count Yorga movies called Death Master uh, about hippies um, facing off against a vampire. I think there, have any of you guys seen Death Master from nineteen seventy one? No, no no so uh just a couple of other bits and then I, d- I don't want to steal all your thunder but actually i'll tell you what um eric tell us what you've got and i've got some uh just a few clips from contemporary reviews of the movie
0: okay um i don't have much that you haven't mentioned but i do know the original title of the script was i am a demon uh then it was changed to the curling effect and actually if you pick up the vinegar syndrome blu-ray uh that's the title that's on the the print of the film they're showing is the in effect. Um, the scene where Jim Hutton receives his jail friend's belongings, uh, that includes a picture of a girl, and that picture is of Natalie Cole, the singer, the light singer, I should say, and daughter of Nat King Cole. Um, Graydon Clark uh, is the um, brains behind the film, really. He wrote it, and he was set to direct the film, but the... Uh, investors overruled him because they wanted Ray Danton. I'm not sure why they wanted Ray Danton in particular, but they did. So, um, Graydon Clark did a compromise with them and asked them if he could... the producers promised him a directing gig in the future, but they also gave him an acting role in this, so he plays um, the cop who is in the car that goes out of control and falls off the cliff. That's uh, Graydon Clark, of course, the director of Without Warning and Uninvited and Wacko and uh, so many sort of great uh, low-budget 80s movies. And... Um, what else do I have here? Yes, you mentioned about Julie Adams. Uh, apparently, its re-release on Vipco in 1992 was cut by about nine seconds for the remo- to remove scenes of blood-stained boobies in the shower scene. Uh, but then they reissued it again in 2000 with that awful cover that you were talking about, Justin. And uh, that was the complete version. Um, it played on a couple of double bills in the UK. One was with Dirty Harry... And the other one was with Riguero De- Deodato's film Cannibal, which is also known as Jungle Holocaust or The Last Cannibal World. That That's an odd... I mean, I can kind of see why it would pair with Dirty Harry because of the cop plot going on in, in Psychic Killer, but to p- put it up against Cannibal is uh, it's a bit of a strange one, I think. Um, It was distributed in the UK by Miracle Films in 1978. Now, Miracle's Films' boss is a chap called Michael Myers, who was responsible... ...for the UK release of Assault on Precinct 13, and because he made such a success of that film... ...John Carpenter named the killer in Halloween after him. So, um, let's see, what else do we have here? The budget was around a quarter of a million, which is pretty decent, I suppose, for the time. Um, It was screened from all major studios in, in 1975. None of them were interested in picking it up, but eventually Avco Embassy released it in the US... Uh, Aldo Ray, of course, is in is in the cast. He we he was in a film we covered recently, Terror Night. We were in it for about ten seconds, like most of the star names in that film. Uh, Dark Sanity. He's in also again another mention for Dark Sanity. Uh, Human experiments. Lots and lots of movies he's been in. Uh, he's also again, in your dreams. I'm assuming sometimes he is. He's also in Dunko near the park. Um, yes, he is sometimes in my dreams. He has a body for sin. yeah Uh, sorry i'm just (laughs) um oh here's an interesting one final interesting little background thing i found was that the lead actor jim hutton to help him cry during the emotional scene where he grieves over his mother he used a bottle of poppers to bring tears to his eyes i'm assuming he put the bottle of poppers up to his eyes uh that effect what are poppers over there Popper, animal nit- am- amyl nitrate, nirate, whatever you call it. I mean, what is what are, their, the, what are the, what is the purpose of those? Uh... Oh, right. Well, <laughs> homosexual gentlemen enjoy okay, using okay. poppers yeah, it's to the same help thing. loosen certain muscles.
2: Yeah, okay. Same thing. Same thing over here then. Interesting. Just want to be clear about... on
0: that, by the yeah, way. Uh, I, you know the, the English comedian Adam Buxton, don't you? justin he did he told a story on the radio once where he found when he was very young he found a bottle of poppers in an alleyway and he thought it was a magic potion because it had a lightning bolt on it <laughs> wow. well anyway enough about poppers let's get back to psychic killer
1: yeah well i was gonna just i've got a few um uh, just a few uh sort of mentions in the in the press from the time it was released but one of the things they're talking about uh, strange double bills. I mean, I think there obviously were very strange double bills in the United States as well. But one of my, one of my favourite uh, strange double bills was um, the Final Terror, the Rachel Ward uh, sensational movie. And I think it was paired with some. I think it was something called like um, Mud Bath Hellcats about um, <laughs> female topless re- uh, mud wrestling. Mm-hmm. uh so that was a, a double bill that i remember seeing uh the poster of on um on ebay once and i thought wow that what a double bill that is so bizarre joseph would like that double bill the rest of us maybe less so maybe so um yeah so the uh just a couple of things here is so steve hogner in the austin american statesman in january 27th 1976 uh, said that the occult parapsychology are hot items at the moment and what with bermuda triangles astral projections deja vu and esp all timely if trite party openers there's money uh to to be trapped here especially with a recent upsurge of books television specials and magazine articles on the subject now the movies are starting to cash in on the trend essentially what is wrong here though can be pinpointed to uh direction and bad acting in general um Barbara Klein in the New Jersey The News uh, said, a showing of psychic killer should be preceded by a warning that the movie may induce vomiting and cause nightmares. Instead, the powers that be have labelled it PG, inviting young children and everyone else to see some of the most grotesque murders in movie history. Um... The, the the last thing I was just to mention here was that Richard Eder in the New York Times news service said he wondered if Psychic Killer could be a midnight movie because this, this is around the time, wasn't it, where midnight movies are starting to come into... The Rocky Horror Pitch Show, I think it was 75 as well, wasn't it? But it was the movies were finding an audience with uh, as midnight movies and he was wondering whether or not... It, it, psychic killer could be one of them it's, he, he said it takes a decent level of concentration to achieve that rare and profitable product the movie that is so thoroughly and triumph triumphantly awful that wave after wave of college students will return to sit through midnight showings in a rising haze of disconnection and other fumes which made me think of nathan for some reason i'm not sure why <laughs> justin <laughs> so um but uh yeah well that was the uh uh the background I have. Um it's uh yeah. Um anything else to add? No. No? I guess we should find out what people who uh, are dead listeners thought of it. Uh Joseph, do you have that to hand?
2: Yeah, out of thirty-three votes, uh 55% of those listeners enjoyed Psychic Killer, 45% were neutral, and no one appeared to dislike this film. So that's good. Um, our listener of the week is Carl Leto and he writes that musical sequence at the construction site is one of the greatest moments in B-movie history. So I think that's the opposite opinion of what we thought. Actually, I kind of like that sequence, but uh, yeah, I get it.
0: I don't mind it. It's just a bit weird in the middle of uh, kind of a semi-serious movie.
2: Yeah, definitely definitely out of place. Um, You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter by searching The Hysteria Continues. You can listen on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, YouTube, and nearly all podcatchers. If you enjoy the show and are willing and able to make a monetary contribution, you can join us on Patreon for as little as a dollar per episode and gain access to exclusive content not found anywhere else, guys. And we also have a Redbubble shop for merchandise. And our email address is thehysteriacontinues at gmail.com.
1: Excellent. Uh, I just want to give a little shout out uh, to Rob Saunders, who's podcast, Def Nerve. Uh, he is very kind, kindly had me on talking about John Carpenter's Halloween. And um, hopefully Rob will join us uh, on on this show as a guest at some point in the near future. So that was a fun, fun chat. And uh, definitely. Well,
3: speaking so- of uh, friends of the show. Hmm. Well, I have a minute. Um, a friend of our show, uh, Emily uh, Dunlap, has her own podcast called Gang Me With a Knife. And it's just your typical um, friends discussing slasher movies, which is pretty much
1: exactly what I look for. And don't we all? Yes. So some recommendations out there for you. So uh, yeah, lots yeah. of good shows coming out. So.
0: It's my Joker. We can so, so fantastic. So what did the actor who plays the lieutenant in Psychic Killer say when he met Julie Andrews? I'm Aldo Ray, me. Do Ray, me. Do Ray, me. Do Ray, me. From The Sound of Music with Julie Andrews.
3: That was clever. I liked it. I haven't seen The Sound of
1: Music.
2: <gasps> but you don't get the joke? do re mi, al Al-do-re-me. re me fa sol Fa-so-la-ti-do. The music thing.
1: Okay. But isn't it Julie Adams? No, it's not. It's Julie Andrews. No, in Psychic in... Killer.
0: Yes, but because the punchline is Al-do-re-me, he has to meet Julie Andrews from The Sound of Music.
2: Oh, and he never has, so uh, we're off to an auspicious start here on your joke, Eric. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and now a word from our friends.
3: Want to learn more about horror directors? With a lighthearted look at three of their movies, meet fearless podcaster Gore Blimey. I've been unsettled by bats in the past, and startled by parrots, and I've even been known to jump at the odd cockatoo. Discover horror films that are classics, and others, too. There's a topless aerobics massacre, an exploding rock singer, cannibals, nude martial arts, a deep fright... But it's not all silliness. You'll get proper movie breakdowns, opinion,
0: and background information too. Yep, in the 80s and 90s, Jeff Stryker was huge in gay Horn. In every sense. So if you're a horror film fan, come and
3: check out the Trilogy of Terror podcast at strangeanddeadly.com or find it on
0: Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or on your podcatcher. One of those people that has a certain charisma and a certain style, and I'm just hoping one day he'll rub off on me. The Trilogy of Terror podcast, where we try three times harder to give you the willies aren't tv movies fun
1: you see all these familiar faces but doing really unfamiliar things and i think that that's really exciting and i think that's something important to the history of film in general join amanda there's a lot going on in that scene that is unspoken between two men so i'm just telling you i think there was a little brokeback mountain
3: Dan. I think Therese is a little bipolar. Her voice, it goes from this sort of s- sexy, sensuous voice to,
2: Okay, Ramsey, get out of here. <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, God.
3: And date. I love, you know, in like the late 70s, early 80s, the crazier a person got, the bigger their hair got.
0: <laughs> <laughs> As they discuss their favorite made-for-TV movies.
3: Mr. Hazelric. On the made for TV mayhem show. This man came to see him, he never comes to see him at (laughs) work. What kind of stories could he have to tell him?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Tales of his postal delivery.
1: So, do we have any feedback? This time.
3: I do. Oh, okay. My feedback says, hey, guys, out of interest, what are the slasher movies for which you have the opposite opinion of than most other people, i.e. the ones you really love, which most others seem to hate, or the ones you hate, which most others seem to love? Personally, I loved Club Dread whilst many slasher aficionados seem to be quite lukewarm on it. And I've always thought that the original Halloween was actually pretty dull and not particularly well shot or acted (gasps) in comparison to the Rob Zombie version.
0: Somebody get the smelling salts for Justin.
3: (laughs) What about you guys? And that's from Simon.Logan. I think Simon.Logan says, P.S. Just kidding about Halloween. Hmm.
1: Well, I was going to say, there was somebody talking about uh, the need for putting someone in an asylum.
3: Um, Honestly, this and I mean just about any movie that I love. um, There's a lot of movies I love that seem to be hated. So, yep, (laughs) I I love a lot of stuff. I can't think of anything that I hate, though. That I I mean, like I joke about Silent Rage. I don't hate it. I just am not a big fan of it. So I'm guessing that one because I think a lot of people really do enjoy that one, and I'm just lukewarm on it at best. I go a
2: little more mainstream. A lot of you know, a lot of the Friday the Thirteenth fans hate A New Beginning because it's not Jason. But that's probably my favorite of the series because it's just so so goddamn entertaining.
0: Mine. I mean, I've um, uh, said this before on the podcast, and it's, it'll be no surprise to you guys. But probably Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I mean, it's not a film I hate. I think the first half is really good. I don't like the second half that much. So, uh, that I think I'm the only person in the world who thinks that way about the film. So, that's probably my one. In terms of films that I really love, everyone else hates, again, it'd be mainstream. I mean, I really liked, uh, this is not a slasher film, but things like Alien Covenant, which got slated in the press, I really like. And, but I'm trying to think of a slasher example. I suppose some of those Friday the 13th sequels again, like or Halloween 5, there we go, there's one. I I really enjoy Halloween Five, and I think it's far superior to Halloween Four. <laughs> I Actually, would agree with that as well.
1: Yeah, <laughs> I'm trying to think. Uh, for me, I think it's one that we've done a commentary for recently. With the Halloween uh, No, no, uh, I still know what you did last summer because I've mm. always adored that movie. I've always thought it was so, so much fun and it was like a real um, early '80s horror movie. There was glorious ridiculousness in it that people hated at the time, and they're still. Kind of hate and i'm hoping that people might uh, re- um, if they revisit it might uh, re- watch it with a slightly different frame of mind now
0: and how how can they watch it at the moment justin
1: on the 88 uh, box set of that yes. we did the the commentaries for uh i know we did last summer and i still know we did last summer and we did pass on i'll always know we did last summer but um i don't think that's controversial uh decision um, the the as far as films that everyone loves that I just don't uh, I don't hate them but I must admit everything at the Night on Elm Street past Part Two uh, leaves me a bit cold even the girl with the the giant hair that turns into cockroach <gasps> I just find I don't know what it is I just kind of I I loved Night on Elm Street and I loved the zaniness of Part Two but I don't know I'd never find myself revisiting them unless we're covering them for the podcast you know i as when it comes to the the big uh, franchises i'd much rather watch uh, halloween uh, uh, sequels or mostly the friday the 13th sequels i just find the halloween uh, nightmare on Elm street sequels just don't really do it for me so i guess that means what well, well, i think um, talking about an obscure movie of course i think i'm all right in c- thinking uh, we're we're covering um, one of the best known slash movies um, ever released in the early 1980s next time
2: Yeah, it's my pick. Uh, This is actually a listener pick, and this was chosen a while back, and we're just now getting around to it. So um, this is an Australian movie called Early Frost from 1982. It's uh, quite rare. And I guess a little disclaimer, um, some of our feedback recently has been like, you know, questioning some of these kind of lower tier choices. And for us, uh, well, for to start, this is a listener pick, so I do need to pick, I do, I do need to discuss this. And second, I think we can all agree that we kind of like shining a light on some of these films that were kind of lost to the sands of time. Uh, so I think now would be kind of, as we're kind of th- in this, uh, I guess, kind of on a roll with these kind of lower tier picks, I might as well go ahead and get this one, you know, you know, on the show so we can talk about it. Plus, uh, we do have some very big titles coming out very soon, I promise, so uh but yeah, we're covering Early Frost from 1982. It's an Australian, I guess it's a slasher film. It's also on YouTube if you want to watch it. So there you go. Uh,
1: yeah, looking forward to covering that one. It's a, an early 80s slasher that we haven't covered. And like you, like uh, Joe said, I think if we we powered, I mean, we go in 10 years and we still have some like the bigger titles to cover. And I think... Um, you know, otherwise we, you know, we power for all the big titles and then, you know, it's it's good to keep us on our toes, I think, isn't it?
3: I would agree with that.
1: So, and also it's, you know, at the end of the day... Um, I, but for me, and as like Joseph said, it's actually looking at some of these older films that are less known. Is for me, I'd in a lot of ways I'd much rather talk about those than just just retread old ground that people have talked about some of the bigger films ad nauseum forever, um, and there's nothing new to add to them. And although it's fun for us to do, you know, to cover some of those big movies, actually getting our teeth into some of these lesser seen movies, whether or not they're great movies or not, there's always some interesting stories to be had. So, uh,
2: And, you know, uh, not to toot our own horns, but maybe us talking about this film, Early Frost, will get it some, you know, the exposure that it deserves. Or maybe uh, we'll all hate it and agree that it should stay buried. Who knows? Just tune into the episode to find
0: out. Yes, I, don't, I don't think anyone else have seen it yet, have we? I haven't yet. Not yet. Yeah.
1: I mean, I've covered some of the more obscure um, uh, sort of uh, New Zealand and Australian slashes from the early 80s. as like Mr. Wrong... uh, Symphony of Terror, sort of um, if that's the right word, but there's kind of there's quite a few Australian slasher movies uh, or kind of so you know associated or quite not quite slasher movies like The Day After Halloween, uh, films like that that we've kind of covered or you know we've certainly looked at in the past. So um, yeah, it'd be interesting to see see this one because obviously there was a big Australian exploitation horror sci-fi. Uh, grindhouse kind of um, uh, filmography, and sort of um, a lot of filmmakers uh, making those kind of movies. Obviously, Mad Max is probably the biggest, you know, best known of those kind of those movies. But uh, there was a lot of great movies being made, and if, I don't. Know if, it might be worth if you've not seen it. There is a documentary. I think is it Osploitation? Oz- not quite Hollywood.
0: It's called. Yeah.
1: But uh, we're also going to be covering on Patreon uh, the uh, feel-good movie of the summer, Lake Mungo, another Australian classic. Uh, so that's coming up as well, and also we're we're coming to the end of the 1970s very soon. I think this month we're going to be into 1978. So it'll be interesting to see what other uh, non-Halloween, i.e., I. John Carpenter horror movies that we choose for that year. So uh,
2: and you know, you know, the 70s have been a lot more, I guess, fun than I anticipated. I, I've, I've really enjoyed covering a lot of these films that I've kind of forgotten about. It's kind of shined a new light on them.
1: Well you you must be looking forward to when we go back to nineteen twenties now then <laughs> oh, yeah,
2: I think it's widely accepted, Charles I think it's murders. widely accepted that we're going to the nineties next, so
1: yes, so it's funny to think nineties it's still weird, it kind of feels like 90s. it doesn't quite now feel like nineties is is modern time by any stretch, but for a long time it kind of did, so uh yeah, well, what are we playing out with, Eric We're
0: playing out with Dore me from the sound of music, but not. Performed by Julie
1: Andrews. This is the version by Sparks. Ah, oh, okay, fantastic. Yeah. So uh well, all we have to say is uh say goodbye to the good people and we'll catch you next time as we go down under, down under for an early frost. So say goodbye.
0: Bye. Bye.
1: Bye. Goodbye. Bye.
0: And oh, dear, our oh, female, dear, Grace, man, and love,